Uh, if you're a guest this morning, please come back next Sunday. Uh, if you don't, Nick will be upset at me. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, thankful that you all are here with us, uh, the guests. I know it's a little different. Uh, there'll be guests at my church today, and they'll think, well, where is that guy that's supposed to be here? Uh, so I know that how that goes. So I'm just so thankful to see all of you. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read a portion of this, verses 1. Uh, probably we'll read all the way down to uh, verse 14. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom re- remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead... How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. A friend of mine walked into uh, a Christian bookstore one day and He's a pastor friend. He was looking for these books, and he went in, and he was trying to search around. He couldn't find the book he was looking for, but he did find another book, and he walked up to the front, and he began to uh, engage the young man behind the counter as he paid for the book. And as he paid for that book, he looked down right next, and there was this odd-shaped uh, package, and he asked the young man, he said, what's in there? He said, those are resurrection eggs. This pastor friend of mine, he kind of grinned and chuckled a little bit, and the young man said, don't laugh, they sell. And he said, well, what are they for? He said, oh, they're just to kind of commemorate, you know, the resurrection of Jesus, you know, once a year. He said, so people buy them just to kind of commemorate that. Pastor said to him, he said, oh, okay, and he just walked away and He thought to himself, is that really what we can gain from the resurrection of Christ is simply a commemoration by a resurrection egg? 
as he told that story, I'm kind of thinking to myself, well, shouldn't we preach about the resurrection a little more often than just Easter? I mean, even this morning, some of you, and I don't know, somebody might be thinking to themselves, well, why exactly would you preach on the resurrection? It's not quite Easter yet. One of the great reasons is, is because we celebrate every Sunday the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we worship on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, the first day of the week. So you've come today to worship the Lord Jesus because of his resurrection. There's plenty of other things that go along with that, but that's one of the main reasons that we're here today on the Lord's Day. Not only is it important for the Lord's Day in and of itself, but the resurrection is important for everyday life. John Trapp said, Never was there as great an imposture put upon the world as Christianity if Christ be yet in the grave. Now think about that for a minute. If the resurrection's not true, then Christianity is the greatest imposture put upon all of society. I wonder how many times we think about the cross and not really focus on the resurrection. How many times do we think about the birth of Jesus and not the resurrection? There's a holistic perspective that we must enjoy as Christians, looking at the, the birth of Christ, the the person of Christ, his life, everything that he did, living perfectly, never sinning against God's law in action or in thought, but also his death on the cross. So impactful. But in all honesty, it would mean nothing if he died on that cross, was put into a tomb, and never was really raised from the dead. Some today question the resurrection totally. Others will say, well, it was a a spiritual death and a spiritual resurrection. But Paul here addressing this church in Corinth is going to speak to them very clearly that this resurrection must be physical. It must have been a physical death and a physical resurrection because if it wasn't that, then there's absolutely no hope. No true hope for any of us. My first question this morning is I would like to look at what do we know about the resurrection of Jesus from this first letter written to Corinth. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. So he's speaking there in a present tense. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you. It's a past tense. He's saying, I've already preached this. I'm writing a letter to you talking about this gospel in the present, but I'm reminding you of something that I already came and preached to you earlier. Remember, he's on this journey. He's, he's already been through Corinth. He's now left Corinth and been gone some time, and he's writing back to them. And he's reminding them that I already preached to you that which you also received. Not only did you receive it, but you stand in it. It's that by which you also are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you. 
unless you believed in vain. Now, what is it that he preached? We come to the, this section of text from verses 3 through 8, and it's almost like Paul is giving a, a creed here. It's almost like he's stating something in creedal form. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Well, what was it that he received? He's passing something down. It's not just something that came out of the, the esoteric sky. He just was walking around one day and just had this great epiphany and went, Oh, wonderful. No, it's something he received. And what was it? That Christ died for our sins. And that was according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He also gives this historical section of how it all came about. Jesus appeared to Cephas, then the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. He's stating very clearly, That this is a reality that is not just something that was thought up at some momentary, lighthearted event. This was a reality that was to bring forth the truth to God's people throughout all of time and history. Now notice... As Paul has worked through this information, he's reminding them that this is something that he continues to preach time and time and time again. Verses 1 through 3 told us he had already preached it to Corinth. Verse 11 and 12, he says, Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If it's been preached to you, how do you say this? This has been a main focus of his preaching. Some people think, well, Paul said a lot about justification. That's true. Paul said a lot about the cross. That's true. Paul said a lot about this or a lot about that. That's true. But apparently, he had a major emphasis on the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, it must be of great importance. There were even Jewish sects that had problems with the resurrection. There were Gentile groups that were going to have problems with the resurrection. Paul had to preach on it readily. Not only did he preach on it from the context of what he had received in even meeting with the Lord Jesus on that road to Damascus. But he says it's in accordance or according to the Scriptures. Gordon Fee in his commentary on the Corinthians gives the idea of this being played out from the Old Testament and especially the Psalms. It's interesting to note that the psalmist in Psalm 16 talks about that the 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 glory of the Son, or that Jesus, that one of those great things about Him is that He will not undergo decay. 
You go to Psalm 16.8, you can look at that scripture and, and see clearly how the psalmist is, is giving a prophetic utterance to the reality that the body of Christ will not undergo decay. How great is it to think through the reality that the resurrection was something that was prophesied. It's according to the scriptures. But not only is it something that we see in creedal form and we see it as according to the scriptures and Paul receiving it, but these are historical details that were probably passed down from the apostles and other disciples. What were they passing down? What was the key information that they were giving here? Well, first and foremost, in verse 3 and 4, Paul says, This is what I received, and it was according to the Scriptures that Christ died for our sins. The death of Christ was necessary. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it this morning, but you have to recognize the importance of the death of Christ, the, the substitutionary death of Christ. Christ in our place. It's a great book by Tremper Longman III as he wrote Emmanuel in our place. He, he works through all of the understanding of what Christ did as our substitute. He was the substitute for our person. We were the ones that were supposed to die for our sins, and yet Christ died for our sins. Emmanuel in our place. But then he also notes something else in verse 4. And that he was buried. Now, most of your versions probably say, and that he was raised, which is correct in form, but... The grammar here gives us an indication that he's, he's saying he was buried and he has been raised. It gives us an idea of this continuation. That the resurrection was not something that Jesus came back to life and then he died again like Lazarus. But that he was raised, he was buried and he has been raised and he continues to be raised. The idea here is also important to connect us to what is a physical resurrection. Would it be senseless to say that Christ died, he was buried and he was raised, but he was raised only spiritually? So what was his death? Was it just a spiritual death? And if it was only a spiritual death, then it accomplished nothing. If Christ simply died spiritually... He hung on the cross and he died spiritually for some moment, but there was no actual physical death. The actual sacrifice did not take place, and there's no remission of sin. He had to have died physically. So therefore, if he's dead physically and he's put into the grave physically, he has to rise again physically. The physical raising of the body of Christ gives us a reality of our own resurrection. And this is Paul's point through the rest of the chapter, is to give encouragement to people about the resurrection of the body. What is going to happen to you? 
You say you trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sin? When your body goes in the ground, what's going to happen to you one day? Is it true that you will be raised? Well, if Christ only died a spiritual death and has only been raised spiritually, then how can we know that our bodies will be raised? Even if Scripture told us that, it would be a lie. Scripture has to be consistent. So for there to be some teaching or preaching on the physical resurrection of our own bodies at the end, whenever that is that the Lord comes, there has to be a truth that goes along with it. And that truth is that Jesus Christ died physically and he was raised physically. We can say this. Jesus did die, and he was buried, yet he did not stay dead or buried, but he has been raised and stands risen forever. Not only do we see these words that are very plain, the idea of death and bury. I mean, folks, you have to get to the the, the real context here. There are people out there that genuinely want to argue that there was no physical resurrection. But it makes no sense. The words here say, buried, raised, he died. The context even establishes this truth. Since Jesus died and was buried, his resurrection must be physical. Paul's teaching here has great implications. We have to answer this question. How does the absence of the physical resurrection affect the gospel? What what if we said there was no importance to the physical resurrection? Ah, So what? It's a spiritual resurrection. Big deal. Does it have any impact? Does it really matter? And not just theologically, but does it matter even in in our practice, in our living? Well, first and foremost, if there's no physical resurrection, it negates the totality of the person and work of Christ. Look at verses 13 and 14. Paul says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. If we can't talk about a physical resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, verse 14, then our preaching is vain and your faith also is vain. If there's no physical resurrection, there's no reason to gather here today. We all just need to go home. Christianity is a lie, there's no hope, there's no joy. There's no encouragement, there's no strength, there's no power without the physical resurrection. We just need to go home. Worship would be senseless, useless, and ultimately, it would be absolutely worthless. 
to the point that we would have nothing to enjoy and appreciate. Not only in that context of worship, but Paul even says our preaching is vain. No reason to preach. No reason for worship, no reason to preach, no reason to be here. And then he goes even as far as to say that your faith is worthless. Your faith is vain. It's worthless. It means nothing. If your faith is vain, you know what that means? Then every single one of us is still condemned in our sin. If Christ did not truly physically rise from the grave and is still risen today, if that's not true, then there's no hope and we are still condemned in our sin. There's no reconciliation. Jeffrey B. Wilson said, The resurrection is the proof of our reconciliation. The resurrection is the proof of our reconciliation. That means... We've been reconciled with God. The biggest problem we have is we are sinners. There have been days that I've ridden in my car and just thought, man, it would be so nice to get through this one day. Not only not to have a a sinful action, not even to have a sinful thought. Tell you quickly about my favorite car that I hope to build one day. It's a 1968 Cadillac. It's solid steel body. That's the way it came uh, off the assembly line. But I would add solid steel over all the windows with simple portals. I would put a cow catcher from a large train on the front end of it. And I would have a gun turret that would come out of the top. This would allow me to be more effective when I made visits in Atlanta. As people pulled over in front of me, tried to run me off the road, I would be able to just push them out of the way and move on and say, next time you'll act nicer. If they really were ugly, I would simply have someone in the gun turret to just blow out their tires and send them on their way right there on the side of the road. Hopefully you're going, and he's a pastor? Man, my my mind. How do I come up with those things? How does my mind go there? I'm supposed to be writing to make a hospital visit, to pray with someone, to encourage them in the struggle that they're going through, and all the way up there, all I can think about is myself, and why is this person in my way? Or why is this person cutting me off? That type of thinking has caused me to be at enmity with God. And you know what? It's caused God to be at enmity with me. I need to be reconciled. And if Christ did not raise, if he's not standing risen physically from the grave, there's no reconciliation, no hope. 
I will be in my sin eternally condemned. Not even my 1968 Cadillac could help me. The resurrection is the proof of our reconciliation. Those who were once at enmity with God and God was at enmity with them are now reconciled and brought together. And it's because of the physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He is not in the grave. He stands at the right hand of the Father. He's there right now. He intercedes on the behalf of those who he paid the price for. Not only does it negate the person and work of Christ if we are without the physical resurrection, it negates the purpose of preaching. What's even worse, though, is it negates the truth about God himself. Look at verse 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Paul says this impacts our whole thinking even to the point of the very character of God. You can no longer speak truthfully about God if Christ did not rise again physically from the grave. And if you do, if you say that Christ raised physically is raised physically from the grave and he's not, then you're not telling the truth about God. We're false witnesses about God, and furthermore, we have testified against him if the physical resurrection is not true. It negates the teaching of the bodily resurrection. Christ didn't raise from the dead. Well, neither can you be raised from the dead. There's a radio host that used to be in Atlanta. He's retired now. I don't know. Y'all may have gotten him on the radio down here. He was syndicated all over. A guy named Neil Bortz. He used to talk about all types of things all the time, but he would talk about people taking the celestial dirt nap because he didn't believe that anything was going to happen to you afterwards. What, what kind of hope is that? But even worse, what kind of truth is that? It's no truth at all. Without the physical resurrection, the effect it has is that it negates any and all true hope. All true hope. Apart from the physical resurrection, you and I will just simply walk around without any hope and we won't have any hope to give anyone else. When I was a young person, and I guess that's a relative term, I turned 40 last year. I'm not sure where I am anymore, if I'm young or old or what I am, but I'm 40 now. I feel older, especially when I get out of the bed after doing any physical activity whatsoever. 
one of my elders, he's 60, and he says, oh, you've, you've seen nothing. You just wait. When I was younger, though, I, I, I really I thought to myself, hey, this, this life's great. There's no problems. I just enjoyed life for what it was and thought there's no real issues. But when I served my first church at the age of 18, the very first week I was at the church, I had to go visit somebody in the hospital that I never knew, still don't, had no idea who they were. And I walked into this room, and here's this man, 50 years of age, dying of cancer. And he couldn't even, I don't even know if he saw me or knew me or anything. And at 18, it began to dawn on me, uh uh-oh. I may not have experienced death in my family, but death is real. And I'm standing here in front of a guy that it's upon him. What hope will we have if Christ did not physically rise again from the grave? I want to leave you with some observations. Any celebration of the resurrection by those who have no interest in Christ is the height of irrationality. Any celebration of the resurrection by those who have no interest in Christ is the height of irrationality. We need to be careful that a secular celebration never distorts biblical Christianity. doesn't mean you can't have an Easter egg hunt. It just means... Hopefully, you're more thoughtful about it than that. Because Christ did die for our sins, because he did go into that grave, because he did rise again, you and I both need to know, all of us together, the judge lives. See, the great thing for us as Christians with Christ's physical resurrection is that that's joy and hope for us because when he returns, he's going to take his people with him. But for those who do not know him, they need to know the judge lives because he's been given all authority to judge. And when he comes back, that's exactly what he'll do. No matter what we think about him, no matter what somebody thinks about him in life, no matter whether you think he's cool or he's not cool or what he is, it doesn't really matter. He will be the judge because he lives. But the great thing for those who have trusted and repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, our sins will have been put on to him. And he's already paid the price. His living inaugurates any and all hope. There is hope. The physical resurrection gives us hope. It gives us true hope. We can leave here today knowing that there's real hope. It's specific hope. What is that hope? It's a hope for actual, real forgiveness of sin. 
all that work he did is manifested, made real, and put into actuality because of the physical resurrection. So that gives us real hope for true forgiveness. The physical resurrection gives us hope for eternal life. I don't know about you, but some days this life grows weary. This place grows weary. When we're young, we don't see so much of the weariness. It's small to us, but every day that we grow older, we see more of the weariness of this world. I could be one of those people that sings sad, sad songs all the time. The blues. You know that there's a reason they sing those songs, right? The blues, it's all about no hope. It's all about the weariness. But that's probably one style of music as Christians we really can't sing. As much as I love to hear the blues and got to hear some southern rock blues last night, it was great stuff, but one thing I noticed, these guys singing, one of them, two songs in a row, the main theme of the song was he was just looking for peace. He had no hope of peace. Why? Because he had never repented and believed in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone and the fact that the Lord Jesus died, was buried, and has been raised. That's hope. Can't sing the blues when I've got that. It has to be rejoicing. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've been merciful and kind and gracious once again to give us a time in your word, a time to sing unto you, to pray unto you, and to read your word. May all that has been done here today be glorifying unto you. Use your word according to the power of your spirit alone to do that which you would do alone for your purpose and your glory. We, we are so thankful for the physical resurrection of your son Jesus. We have great hope, great joy. And we walk in these things in total thanksgiving. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen.